You are listening to the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four-volume, over 2,500-page work by the Venerable Maria of Agreda. If you would like to discuss today's readings, head on over to Facebook, and there you'll be able to find the Mystical City of God in a Year podcast group and be able to share your own thoughts and insights with others who are listening and following along. Let us now thank God for the life of Venerable Maria of Agreda. Almighty God, you will that all people know the saving power of Jesus' name. Throughout time, you have sent missionaries to your people who proclaim the good news. We thank you for sending Storm Maria to the Humano people and planting the seeds of the gospel in their heart and in our land. She taught them the good news and prepared them for holy baptism. We look to her example in holy life and wish to be taught by her today. Sor Maria teaches how to pray and meditate, teaches how to imitate the virtues of Our Lady, teach us the mysteries of our faith. Almighty God, stir a flame in our hearts the same missionary fervor of Sor Maria, so we may be as emboldened as she was to proclaim the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. Today is day number 233. We are reading from Volume 3, Book 6, Chapter 10, Paragraphs 445 to 456. Chapter 10. Christ our Savior celebrates the Last Supper with his disciples, according to the law, and he washes their feet. His Most Holy Mother obtains a full knowledge and understanding of all these mysteries. 445. Our Redeemer proceeded on his way to Jerusalem on the evening of the Thursday, preceding his passion and death. During their conversation on the way, while he instructed them in the approaching mysteries, the apostles proposed their doubts and difficulties, and he, as the teacher of wisdom and as a loving father, answered them in words which sweetly penetrated into their very hearts. For having always loved them, he, like a divine swan, in these last hours of his life, manifested his love with so much the greater force of amiable sweetness in his voice and manner. The knowledge of this impending passion and the prospect of his great torments not only did not hinder him in the manifestation of his love, but just as fire is more concerned by the frost, so his love broke forth with so much the greater force at the prospect of these sufferings. The conflagration of the love which burned in the heart of Jesus issued forth to overpower by its penetrating activity, first those who were nearest about him, and then also those who sought to extinguish it forever. Accepting Christ and his blessed mother, the rest of us mortals are ordinarily roused to resentment by injury, or dismayed and disgusted by adversity, and we deem it a great thing not to revenge ourselves on those who offend us. But the love of the Divine Master was not daunted by the impending ignominies of his passion, not dampened by the ignorance of his apostles and the disloyalty which he was so soon to experience on their part. 446. The apostle asked him where he wished to celebrate the Paschal Supper. Matthew 26. For on that Thursday night the Jews were to partake of the Lamb of the Pasch, a most notable and solemn national feast. Though of all their feasts, this eating of the Paschal Lamb was most prophetic and significant of the Messiah and of the mysteries connected with him and his work, the apostles were as yet scarcely aware of his intimate connection with Christ. 
The Divine Master answered by sending St. Peter and St. John to Jerusalem to make arrangements for the Paschal Lamb. This was to be in a house where they would see a servant enter with a jug of water and whose master they were to request in Christ's name and to prepare a room for his last supper with his disciples. This man lived near to Jerusalem, rich and influential. He was at the same time devoted to the Savior and was one of those who had witnessed and had believed in his miracles and teachings. The author of life rewarded his piety and devotion by choosing his house for the celebration of the great mystery and thus consecrate it as a temple for the faithful of future times. The two apostles immediately departed on their commission, and following the instructions, they asked the owner of this house to entertain the master of life for the solemn celebration of this feast of the unleavened bread. 447. The heart of this householder was enlightened by special grace, and he readily offered his dwelling with all the necessary furniture for celebrating the supper according to the law. He assigned to them a very large hall, appropriately tapestried and adorned for the mysteries, which unbeknown to him and the apostles, the Lord was to celebrate therein. After due preparation had thus been made, the Savior and the other apostles arrived at this apartment. His most blessed mother and the holy women and her company came soon after. Upon entering, the most humble queen prostrated herself on the floor and adored her divine son as usual, asking his blessing and begging him to let her know what she was to do. He bade her to go to another room, where she would be able to see all that was done on this night, according to the decrees of providence, and where she was to console and instruct, as far as was proper, the holy women of her company. The great lady obeyed and retired with her companions. She exhorted them to persevere in faith and prayer, while she, knowing the hour of her holy communion was at hand, continued to keep her interior vision riveted on the doings of her most holy son, and to prepare herself for the worthy reception of his body and blood. 448. His most holy mother, having retired, our Lord and Master Jesus, with his apostles and disciples, took their places to celebrate the Feast of the Lamb. He observed all the ceremonies of the law, Exodus 12.3, as prescribed by himself through Moses. During this last supper, he gave to the apostles an understanding of all the ceremonies of the figurative law, as observed by the patriarchs and prophets. He showed them how beneath it was hidden the real truth, namely all that he himself was to accomplish as Redeemer of the world. He made them understand that now the law of Moses and its figurative meaning was evacuated by its real fulfillment, that as the light of the new law of grace had begun to shine, the shadows were dispelled, and the natural law, which had been reconfirmed by the precepts of Moses, was now placed permanently upon its real foundation. Ennobled and perfected by his own teachings that the efficacy of the sacraments of the new law abrogated those of the old, as being merely figurative and ineffectual, he told them that by celebrating this supper, he set an end to the rights and obligations of the old law, which was only a preparation and a representation of what he was now about to accomplish, and hence, having attained its end, had now become useless. 4.49 This instruction enlightened the apostles concerning the deep mysteries of this Last Supper, 
The other disciples that were present did not understand these mysteries as thoroughly as the apostles. Judas attended to and understood them least of all, yea, not at all, for he was completely under the spell of his avarice, thinking only of his prearranged treason and how he could execute it most secretly. The Lord revealed none of his secret treachery, for so it best served the designs and equity of his most high providence. He did not wish to exclude him from the supper and from the other mysteries, leaving it to his own wickedness to bring about his exclusion. The divine master always treated him as his disciple, apostle, and minister, and was careful of his honor. Thus, he taught the children of the church by his own example with what veneration they should treat his ministers and priests, how they must guard their honor and avoid speaking of their sins and weaknesses, still adhering to frail human nature in spite of their high office. None of them will ever be worse than Judas, as we can all assume, and not one of the faithful will ever be like Christ, our Lord and Savior, nor, as our faith teaches us, will anyone ever have his divine authority and power. Hence, as all men are of infinitely smaller consideration than our Savior, let them accord to his ministers, who, though wicked, will be ever better than Judas, the same treatment as he condescended to accord to his most wicked disciple and apostle. This duty toward priests is not less urgent even in superiors. For also Christ our Lord, who bore with Judas and was so careful of his reputation, was infinitely his superior. 450. On this occasion, the Redeemer composed a new canticle by which he exalted the Eternal Father for having in his Son fulfilled the figures of the old law and for thus advancing the glory of his holy name. Prostrate upon the earth, he humiliated himself in his humanity before God, confessing, adoring, and praising the divinity as infinitely superior to his humanity. Then, addressing the Eternal Father, he gave vent to the burning affection of his heart in the following sublime prayer. 451. My Eternal Father and Infinite God, thy divine and eternal will, resolve to create this human nature, in order that I may be the head of all those that are predestined for thy glory and happiness, and who are to attain their true blessedness by availing themselves of my works. For this purpose, and in order to redeem them from the fall of Adam, I have lived with them thirty-three years. Now, my Lord and Father, the opportune and acceptable hour for fulfilling thy eternal will has arrived. The greatness of thy holy name is about to be revealed to men, and thy incomprehensible divinity through holy faith is to be made known and exalted among all nations. It is time that the seven-sealed book be opened as thou hast commissioned me to do, and that the figures of old come to a happy solution. Apocalypse 5, 7. The ancient sacrifices of animals which prefigured the one I am now voluntarily to make of myself for the children of Adam, for the members of the mystical body, for the sheep of thy flock, must now come to an end. And I beseech thee in this hour to look down with an eye of mercy, if in the past thy anger has been placated by these ancient figures and sacrifices which I am now about to abrogate. Let it now, my father, be entirely extinguished, since I am ready to offer myself involuntary sacrifice to die for men on the cross and give myself as a holocaust of my love. 
Ephesians 5.2 Therefore, Lord, let the rigor of thy justice be relaxed and look upon the human race with eyes of mercy. Let us institute a new law for men by which they may throw down the bars of their disobedience and open for themselves the gates of heaven. Let them now find a free road and open portal for entering with me upon the vision of thy divinity as many of them as will follow my footsteps and obey my law. 4.52 The Eternal Father graciously received this prayer of our Redeemer and sent innumerable hosts of his angelic courtiers to assist at the wonderful works which Christ was to perform in that place. While this happened in the Cenacle, Most Holy Mary in her retreat was raised to the highest contemplation, in which she witnessed all that passed if she were present. Thus, she was enabled to cooperate and correspond as a most faithful helpmate, enlightened by the highest wisdom. By heroic and celestial acts of virtue, she imitated the doings of Christ our Savior. For all of them awakened fitting resonance in her bosom and caused the mysterious and divine echo of like petitions and prayers in the sweetest virgin. Moreover, she composed new and admirable canticles of praise for all that the sacred humanity of Christ was now about to accomplish in obedience to the divine will and in accordance and in fulfillment of the figures of the old law. 453 very wonderful and worthy of all admiration would it be for us, as it was for the holy angels, and as it will be for all the blessed, if we could understand the divine harmony of the works and virtues of the heart of our great queen, which like a heavenly chorus neither confused nor hindered each other in their superabundance on this occasion. Being fulfilled with the intelligence of which I have spoken, she was sensible of the mysterious fulfillment and accomplishment of the ceremonies and figures of the old law through the most noble and efficacious sacraments of the new. She realized the vast fruits of the redemption of the predestined, the ruin of the reprobate, the exaltation of the name of God and of the sacred humanity of Christ, the widespread knowledge and faith in the true God now beginning throughout the world. She fully understood how the heavens had been closed for so many ages in order that now the children of Adam might enter through the establishments and progress of the new evangelical church and its ministers, and how her divine son was the most wonderful and skillful artificer of all these blessings, exciting the admiration and praise of all the courtiers of heaven. For these magnificent results, without forgetting the least of them, she now blessed the Eternal Father and gave him ineffable thanks in the consolation and jubilee of her soul. 4.54 But she also reflected that all these admirable works were to cost her divine son the sorrow, ignominies, affronts, and torments of his passion, and at last the bitter death of the cross, all of which he was to endure in the very humanity that he had received from her while at the same time such a number of the children of Adam, for whom he suffered, would ungratefully waste the copious fruit of the redemption. This knowledge filled with the bitterest sorrow the purest heart of the loving mother. But as she was a living and faithful reproduction of her most holy son, all these sentiments and operations found room in her magnanimous and expanded heart. And therefore... She was not disturbed, nor dismayed, nor did she fail to console and instruct her companions. But without losing touch of her high intelligences, she descended to their level of thought in the words of consolation and of eternal life for their instruction. O oh, admirable instructress and superhuman example entirely to be followed and imitated, 
It is true that in comparison with this sea of grace and light, our prerogatives dwindle into insignificance, but it is also true that our sufferings and trials in comparison with hers are so to say only imaginary and not worthy to be even noticed, since she suffered more than all the children of Adam together. Yet neither in order to imitate her nor for our eternal welfare can we be induced to suffer with patience even the least adversity. All of them excite and dismay us and take away our composure. We give vent to our passions. We angrily resist and are consumed with restless sorrow. In our stubbornness we lose our reason, give free rein to evil movements, and hasten on toward the precipice. Even good fortune lures us to destruction, and so no reliance can be placed in our infected and spoiled nature. Let us be mindful of our heavenly mistress on such occasions, in order that we may set ourselves right. 4.55 Having completed the supper and fully instructed his disciples, Christ our Savior, St. John tells us, John 13.4, arose from the table in order to wash their feet. He first prostrated himself before his eternal Father and addressed to him another prayer of the same kind as that before the supper. It was not uttered in words, but was conceived interiorly as follows. Eternal Father, creator of the universe, I am the image and the figure of thy substance engendered by thy intellect. Hebrews 1.3 Having offered myself for the redemption of the world through my passion and death according to thy will, I now desire to enter upon these sacraments and mysteries by humiliating myself to the dust, so that the pride of Lucifer may be confounded by the humility of thy only begotten. In order to leave an example of humility to my apostles and to my church, which must be built up on the secure foundation of this virtue, I desire my Father to wash the feet of my disciples, including the least of all of them, Judas. Steeped in his own malice, I shall prostrate myself before him in deepest and sincerest self-abasement to offer him my friendship and salvation." Though he is the greatest enemy among the mortals, I shall not refuse him pardon for his treachery, nor deny him kindest treatment, so that if he shall decline to accept it, all the world may know that I have opened up to him the arms of mercy, and that he repelled my advances with obstinate contempt. 4.56 Such was the prayer of the Savior in preparing to wash the feet of his disciples. There are not words or similitudes in all creation which could properly express the divine impetus of the love with which he undertook and accomplished these works of mercy. For in comparison to it, the activity of fire is but slow, the inflowing of the tide but weak, the tendency of a stone toward its center but tardy, and all the forces of the elements in the world that we can imagine in their united activity, but inadequate representations of the power of his love. But we cannot fail to perceive that divine love and wisdom alone could ever conceive a humiliation by which both divinity and his sacred humanity lowered themselves beneath the feet of mere creatures and beneath the feet of the worst of them. Judas, that he who is the word of the eternal Father, the Holy of Holies, the essential goodness, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, should prostrate himself before the most wicked of men and touch the feet of this most impure and degraded of his creatures with his lips, that he should do all this merely for the chance of justifying his wayward disciple and securing for him immeasurable blessings. This concludes our reading today for day number 233. We've been reading from Volume 3, Book 6, 
Chapter 10, Paragraphs 445-456 to In the beginning of our reading today, we hear about that man who graciously offers his house to the Lord, that Jesus knows what's going to be there, tells the apostles, this is what you will find, and go and ask that man. That man, we learn today, was a follower of Jesus, that he heard his teachings. Maybe he was there for one of the great miracles. He witnessed it, and now he's able to welcome Christ into his home among his apostles to celebrate the Passover, which would become the Last Supper. I think out of the entirety of our reading, what moved me the most today, and you know, there were certain phrases, for example, that that Jesus praying to his father, it was described, had burning affection of his heart. That's very moving to think about, the burning affection of Jesus. Maybe we think of the sacred heart image and his heart burning with love for us, but that heart burnt with love for Judas. And that's what I think was so beautiful about our reading today, that Jesus stoops down even to this most wicked man and washes his feet. I shall prostrate myself before him in deepest and sincere self-abasement to offer him my friendship and salvation. Well, Jesus, he stoops down to us and he offers us friendship and salvation. For all the wrong that we've done, he still comes to us and offers us that same thing. Though he is my greatest enemy among the mortals, I shall not refuse him pardon for his treachery, nor deny him kindest treatment, so that if he shall decline to accept it, all the world may know that I have opened up to him the arms of my mercy, and that he repelled my advances with contempt. Jesus is offering forgiveness, and it's up to Judas to accept it. Our sins are forgivable. Jesus wants to forgive us. We must ask him, we must approach him, we must accept it. May we not be like Judas, but rather open our hands and open our arms to receive the love of Jesus and to embrace him. I'm Father Edward Looney, and throughout the year I'm reading and reflecting on the four volumes of the mystical city of God. I'm grateful you joined me today, and I hope you'll join me again tomorrow. Until then... May God bless you, and Mary pray for you.